Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we do praise you, Father, for being an awesome, awesome God, that you have worked in our lives, Father, that you care for us. I pray, Father, for your spirit to be prevalent today. And just as Tom's word for us, as he stood up earlier, and he said that the Lord has something for us, he, he, he wants to give us something. And I pray, Father, we'd be willing to receive and that our hearts would be open to what you'd speak to us here today. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we've been going through the book of Luke, you're seeing that Luke is opening us up to a scene, a scenario where the Messiah is coming. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited Christ that was coming into a cold, dead, stale world. Uh, we thought it was interesting that the opening scene of the book of Luke was an angel appearing to Zechariah, a priest. Priest in the temple sees an angel shocked, didn't know what to do with it. What a sad commentary that a religious man in a religious place wouldn't see something spiritual. And in a sense, it's the Spirit of God just starting to do a work of recreation, starting all over just like the first creation, where the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the planet. It was cold and devoid and empty of life. And God comes in to bring forth life. He's a giver of life. And Jesus comes onto the scene. He's, he's saying that his mission was to set the captives free. He wanted people to be free from the bondages of the sin and of the devil. We saw Jesus being tempted by the devil, devil sorry, in, in chapter 4. And the devil was trying to take him off track. Jesus, do something else than what you were designed and, and, and purposed in your life to do. And if Satan could get us off track, he wins. We saw then the next week where Jesus is there dealing with a, a demon. And the demon was there to twist and to confuse that man's identity. We went through that whole thing where people don't know who they are, what they are, or what they're supposed to be doing. And then last week we said that to really enter into the kingdom of heaven, to be spiritual, to be open, it takes a step of faith. And we have to be willing to step out and to leave certain things. And in this week, we're kind of segueing into, we're, we're now going into another area where we're seeing Matthew is being saved. He uses the old name Levi, but it's a loaded sentence, if you would. In verse 27 is where we pick up in chapter 5 of Luke. It says, after these things, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Sitting at the tax office, a man at his job, doing what he was supposed to be doing. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And I almost find it comical, but it says, so he left all, everything he had. He rose up and he followed him. So it's a, it's a strange verse. You're seeing Jesus as he's starting to draw disciples to himself. He's starting his ministry. He's gathering the twelve, if you would. And he comes upon this guy, Levi, and I find it amazing. He walks up and he says, hey, follow me. And Levi's response was, yeah, sure, I'll just leave everything and get up and go. Notice, if you would, that Jesus, he invaded his space. And this is the second time I've pointed this out, where Jesus comes into this man's life. He's sitting down there, Levi's doing his job, he's collecting the taxes. Jesus walks up, I don't know. 
picture the scene if this was just like being at the Department of Motor Vehicles. You know, they're collecting a tax. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got to wait in line. You go to the lady at the counter and you've got to pay for your plates and, you know, and all this type of stuff. And Jesus just looks across the counter and says, hey, you, follow me. And all of a sudden, the guy behind the counter says, sure, I think that's what I need. I think that's what I'll do. And, and Jesus came into his life. I think he's very blunt. He was very forward. There's an absence of a lot of things. Jesus didn't come up and do a trick for him. Didn't come up and pull a rabbit out of his hat and says, now, does this impress you? He didn't sit down and give him a sermon with a lot of theology and said, you know, there's the true purpose of your life and are you fulfilling it? He walked up to this guy and this guy immediately just drops everything and says, sure, why not? That speaks volumes in itself. And I think, I think what's happening is, is there's something to be said for this guy who went through a change. We know this is going to be Matthew, one of the disciples. And notice he has a, a name, B.C., before Christ entered his life, as Levi. Now, Levi is a very important name in the Bible. Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, and Levi was designated as one of the tribes that was set aside to be the priesthood. And as the priest, and, and as Levi was destined to be involved in the priesthood, look what he's now become, a tax collector. Well, first off, tax collectors then, as they are now, are nobody that we like. Nobody likes a tax collector. But especially if he's Jewish, He's collecting tax from Jews, and then he's giving them to Rome. Now, nobody likes that. So he's one of us, supposedly, the people could say, and he's taking our money and he's giving it to them. What a double backstabbing guy this is. Rome didn't like him because he was Jewish. The Jews didn't like him because they're taking their money. Nobody liked this guy, Levi. He, he was just unpopular, you could just imagine. And that's probably got to weigh something on him. But I find it rather prophetic, insight. Look at what's happened to Israel. It's priesthood, those that were designated for the priesthood, were set around and, and the priesthood has become a tax, a burden. And what should have been something that was full of joy, when God gave the priesthood, it was an exciting thing. It was a way of redemption. It was a way to come to God. Now, all of a sudden, over the years, thousand years go by, the priesthood has uh, you know, just become a tax, a burden. And you know what? There's a group of people, and instead of them giving to God, what the church, what the religion has become is nothing more than a burden to the people. Go up and pay the tax. And I think so many times we feel that uh, our Christianity uh, has just become a tax. I've got to pay the God tax. I've got to go up and, and serve God, and for me to serve God, I guess I've got to get him off my back, because if I don't serve him, then he's going to break my legs. He's going to make my life miserable. So I pay the God tax to get God off my back. And I believe that uh, what we see as, as the nation of Israel, it became drudgery. Hard, boring, paying your taxes and shut up. I think, I think nobody liked, Levi most especially hated what he was doing. 
and he was miserable. And I suppose that would make why Jesus comes up and bluntly says, hey, follow me. Okay, why? Because my life is miserable. My life is empty. My life is drudgery. And when someone comes up to you, when you're in the midst of just being miserable and depressed and full of drudgery, and someone says, here's something different, here's somebody coming in and he has something to offer, you go, I'll drop everything, all, all that I am, and I'll forsake it and I'll become something. And that's where the world is. It's, it's filled with drudgery, depression, and misery. People are locked, and it needs just Jesus to come up in a very simple way and say, follow me. Uh, we think that we have to win the world with arguments and show signs and wonders and prove God. Uh, there's a world out there that is ripe, that is saying, I need, and please show me something. And Jesus walks up as he invaded his space. He didn't promise him a future. He didn't promise him eternal life. He said, here's something different. And so, if you would, the, the change was simple in his life. He made that change. And then notice what had happened. He turns around and you see the joy in his heart, verse 29. It says, then Levi gave, he gave him a great feast. Hey, wow, something radical. Let's throw a party for Jesus. And Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. Come on in, Jesus, take over. And there was a great number of who? Tax collectors, some of Levi's buddies. And others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees, they complained. They complained against his disciples saying, Hey Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, I find it amazing now. You're looking at scribes who were people that copied the text. They were people that knew the Bible. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders that uh, were there imposing the laws that they knew the scribes would tell them that the people needed. And here they are. They're going, Jesus, aren't you a holy man? What are you doing with such dirt and trash? Now, <clears throat> I find it Severely ironic that here you have some of the people that are the most miserable and inflicting misery on everyone else. They turn around and they hate who? The tax collectors. And watch this. That's exactly what these Pharisees and Sadducees are. They're the ones that have made their religion into tax collectors. Yet when they see an actual tax collector, they hate it. I don't know why that is. People who fear something, when they see something like that, they hate the thing that they fear. They, they hate to see something that really that they're becoming. But watch how this text comes across. Jesus sits down there and says a very important statement. Jesus answered and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now at this statement, Jesus does four or five key things. He shuts up the Pharisees and says, what's wrong with me taking care of somebody else? If these people are the dregs of the world, is there anything wrong with me trying to help them? Why do we have to see the dregs of the world and, and immediately cut them off and say, we don't have any need for you, we don't like you, we don't care about you? Jesus says, okay, if there is a problem over there, how about the smart thing? Why don't we address something? Why don't we heal something? Why don't you send me over to heal the sick? 
And you go, Jesus is here to take care of certain problems. He's there to heal. He's there to touch. But I also think it, it, it opens up the blindness inside of them where they are the ones that they would say, well, good, I'm glad you're here for them. I don't need that. I'm obviously healthy. The, the log, the two-by-four is in their eyes. They are so blind to that their own need. They are the self-righteous. They believe that they're better than everyone else. And in their midst of thinking that they're better than everyone else, they are the ones that impose the tax on the people. Watch how this plays out. So these Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, as they're disgusted with Jesus for eating with the tax collectors and sinners, he says, then they said to him, okay, Jesus, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, we're religious people, we like to fast. The fast is to abstain from eating. It's to, to pursue holiness God by abstaining from food to become more spiritual. It's a good practice. And, and, and they're saying, why aren't you doing that, Jesus? Why aren't, you, why aren't you groveling a little bit and fighting for God? You guys are sitting down there having a party. You're sitting there chomping down, having a feast. You make, you're, you're having fun. What's wrong with that? Why, why don't you sit down there and grovel like the rest of us? And Jesus, and he said to them, can you make the friends, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come, and there'll be a time that that may be appropriate, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So here you're watching where Jesus turns around and he says, you know what? This is his answer. They got me. I'm sitting here. We're having a party. When we want to fast, we want to see God. We want God's face. He's like, what more can you get than having me right here? So he's using the, the best man. And he's saying, you know, you got the bridegroom and, and, and the, the, the best man, if you would. And he says, the friends of the bridegroom, they fast while the bridegroom is with them. He's saying, hey, this is the party. This is the wedding celebration. This is not the time to turn around and to be groveling, to be pursuing and by seeking Jesus is saying, when you got me, you already got it all. Why, why be acting like you don't have something? Why be acting drudgery like you're, you're missing something in the life? Why be moaning like a, a wounded pigeon when you have Jesus? You got me. And what's happening here is you can see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you can see their exact tax that they love to impose on the people. Guilt and condemnation. And they want to tax the people with a religious system that holds them down, puts people down and holds them back from fulfilling their walk in their place with God. Jesus comes up and he says, you got me. What's the problem? Can't you see that, 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 that I'm here to give and to heal and to touch and there's wonderful things that are happening? And, I, I, and sometimes, we as Christians, we do sometimes grovel like there's so much missing in our life. God, if I only had this and if I only had that, if I only saw just one miracle a day, I just want to heal one person of cancer every day, and then if not, there's something wrong with me. We're so quick 
to pick up the pain, the guilt. The religions of this world impose on people guilt and condemnation and they hold them down as a tax. And what it does, it just becomes drudgery and misery for everyone. And Jesus comes up and he says, man, I want to set you free. I'm here to offer you something. You got me. And so as he's working, then he, he puts it all together in one final parable. And he spoke a parable to them. He says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, tear, and also the piece that was taken out of that does not match the old. And so he's saying, you know what? There has to be a radical change. And he's saying, if you took a, a, a garment and you wanted to sew it, and let's say it was an old garment, and you said, I need to go get a piece of cloth. And if you took a, a new piece of cloth and put on it, it would look old. You need to put an old piece of cloth to patch up the old garment to make it blend in. And what he's saying then, if the new piece was brand new and then you washed it the next time and then that would shrink after it was sewn in, it would just rip it all to pieces. You want a pre-shrunk piece of cloth, you want something with it. And, and he's talking about not just patching up the old garment, but starting off with a whole new garment in your life. Listen to this. He backs it up with another parable. He says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst uh, the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So we lose a little bit. We're not all winemakers here today. And, uh, but during the process of winemaking, there's the process of fermentation. Take grape juice, add a little sugar. Uh, it ferments through a fungus in it, actually. It produces a gas when that process takes place to ferment it. And when that gas is produced, it expands whatever container it's in. It's like uh, taking a jug full of water. A glass jug, you put it in the freezer, it expands, and what happens? It breaks that glass jug to pieces by the ice expanding it. And it's the same concept. What you would do is you would uh, go kill your goat, and you'd skin your goat, and as your little baby goat was still young and flexible, you skinned it, and you didn't let it dry in the sun. You'd, you'd use that as a jug to ferment your wine in. You'd pour your grape juice in there, you throw a little sugar in there, you put it up in the sun or wherever, a cool spot, I don't know. And as it starts to expand, the gases are starting to get off in that fermentation process. And then as the gases get off, because it's a young goat that still has skin that's flexible, it expands with it and it doesn't burst that wineskin. And then you can release some of the pressure at the right time. But he says if you took an old goat skin, hard, tough piece of leather, and you tried to put new wine in there, then as that process started to happen, that goat skin would, you know, the old leather would bust apart into pieces and you'd hang the thing up in your, I think you put it in your, your basement or something, a cool place, and you allow the fermentation to take place. And, and, and then you'd just come in the next day and the thing would be busted all to pieces. And Jesus is making a very strong point. He's saying in order to have, listen to this, a new work of God in your life, you have to be flexible. You have to be open. The old religious system, which imposes attacks on people, is very stiff and stubborn. 
and they have a very set way of looking at life. Well, you have to fast. You have to be moaning and complaining. You're supposed to be spiritual. Real spiritual people, they just suffer a lot. And, and what Jesus is saying, he says, man, I want to do a whole new work. God's coming in to recreate, to rework something in your life. And he wants to, he wants to do something. And your requirement is that you be flexible, you be open. You want to go with the moving of the Holy Spirit to do something different with your life. Here's the formula for insanity. The formula for insanity is to be miserable in your life and then do the exact same thing in your life over and over and over again. If you're miserable, then do something different. That Hey, anything's got to be a change in the same old, same old. And Levi, somebody who was doing the same old, same old, he was just having his religion to be stale and miserable and crusty. And, and, and what God is saying is saying, dude, you've got you to be flexible. You've got to have certain things start to happen in your life so that you can be open to the power of the Holy Spirit so something different can happen. And Levi at least said, this stinks. I'm sitting here in my office day after day after day. Some guy walks in and says, hey, follow me. I guess so. And it is so sad to see so many Christians who beg for change in their life and yet can never leave the patterns that they've established of who and what they are. Now read the next verse. It's an interesting key. Jesus turns around and he closes and he says, Well, no one having drunk old wine... And I love the New King James in this case. It says, immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. That verse speaks volumes. So many of us say, well, we want the old wine. We know all about wine. Aged wine's the good stuff, right? Nobody wants 2006 bottle of wine. We want the, you know... 1896 bottle of wine and that's supposed to be the expensive stuff that's where it's mellowed and it's aged and what Jesus is saying he says you know supposedly that's the good but you and I both know we're craving the new and I think Jesus is speaking to us and he's saying I recognize it's real hard to make change I realize you desire to stay in your old habits your old patterns your old way of life but in order in order for you to have the power of the holy spirit work in your life you have to be open to be flexible to be yielding and i like that nobody wants the it says he says nobody wants that change immediately nobody's desiring the new when when when, when someone comes up to you and presents the gospel and all of a sudden it starts to impact your life and you start to get the clue well if i'm to become a christian then i can no longer do this and i can no longer do that and and inside of our little heart it goes pity pat pity pat we go we don't want to give up those those are our those are our little comfort zone little places that we go when our feelings are hurt i can go over here to find solace in my little comfort zone in the way that i have my life and jesus is saying that's death 
That's death. If you want to go back to where you are, you got to get away from that. And you have to be willing to give up the old, give up the old way of life and the old way of thinking. And you've got to pursue something new. Because life is, as you get stuck in according to Christianity, the worst word is religion. The worst part of religion is tradition. Traditions get you stuck in a rut. And in order for you to find health in your life, you break the rut. You break the traditions and you wake up every morning and you're saying, Lord, I need something new. I need something going on in my life. Something different, please. I am dying here. I'm dying, Lord. Can you please come into my life and to do something? And when that prayer starts to sink into your spirit and you're asking the Lord to make a change in your life, you're going to find that God can start to do wonderful things in your life. Now, I like that. You know, uh, we're trying to do some things different at Calvary Chapel as a church compared to the average church on the street, down the street. And it's interesting, when you come into Calvary Chapel, you know, I'm a firm believer in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm a firm believer you have to come to the point in your life of dying to yourself and finding new life in Christ. But when you walk through the building, you come through here, one thing that's, you know, strong, predominant throughout the place is that we have the dove. And, and I don't know about you, when I first walked into a Calvary Chapel, I said, well, why don't we have a cross up on the back wall? What's this new cult? You know what I mean? They've got birds everywhere, you know? <laughs> and what, what Calvary Chapel does, as much as it's a firm believer in the cross, it wants to emphasize that God wants to give the Spirit of God to you. And we believe as Jesus was baptized and then the Spirit of the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit manifested itself as a dove, it descended upon Jesus and it rested upon Him. And it's a picture as you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, it's a picture to turn around and say, wait a second, God wants to give you something. Oh, that's, that's different. God wants to give me something? And so many times when you come to a church, the church is always saying, well, you need to, here's my tax imposed. You need to do this and to do this and to do this. And if you do these things, then you'll be okay in our book. And somehow or another, the, the concept of the cross, and I, I hate to diminish any part of the work of the cross and what we need to do to pick up our crosses and to follow Christ, but please only understand what I'm saying here. It seems like when the emphasis is the cross, you walk into a church and the church is saying, Die! 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 We hate people like you, you sinner! You've got to quit this and quit that and quit this. And if you want to be a Christian, if you want the kingdom of heaven, then die. <laughs> and people go, I, 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 I don't want that. And somehow or, another, somehow or another, the concept has to be, when I come to Christ, He's setting me free. He's giving me something. I come to the Lord and, and the Lord's offering me life. He's offering me the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I can have a sense of joy. I can have a sense of discernment to understand the world. I can be freed from that little prison that I'm in. And there's something else in this world other than me and my misery. And Christianity offers in its package a, a beautiful 
gift. It's a free gift. It's a present. It's, it's something that's presented to you. And churches have lost that focus. It only says, you need to die. And so many times people are saying, but what do I get? Just more misery? I, I'm supposed to grovel? I go to your church and it's just another stinking tax on me. Oh, now I'm supposed to tithe 10%? Oh, gee, you know, I gotta, I, here's your stupid money, God. And people perceive it instead of, look at Levi. He's turning around and he sees Christ and Christ is putting a change in front of him. And you can see him, he gave. Let's throw a party. Let's have a celebration. Let's turn around and do something with my life. I'm set free. I'm doing something. Take it all, Jesus. I don't care. There's an attitude of thanksgiving inside of Levi. And he's the one that says, I saw something in Jesus. I want everyone to see. What, that you can all pay a tax, that you can all grovel to, to Christianity, that you can all just pay this miserable price? And the, and the teaching is, is if the church doesn't represent Christ effectively by showing people that there is more to life than the groveling and the, and the pain and the suffering, then the church is failing radically on representing God correctly. And who's the church? It's you and I, buddy. Anybody who calls himself a believer, and if they present themselves as, oh, I gotta go to church. Oh, the pain, the burdens I have, the pain. I'm suffering for you, brother. You think you're gonna make a lot of converts? <laughs> the world knows that it's in misery. The world is suffering in anguish and in turmoil. It's not my job to go up and to present you know, people and say, do you know how miserable you are? Let me tell you how miserable you are. I can tell you how you need. People don't need that. People need to say, I know I'm miserable. Can you show me something different? And what we want to do in Christ is to do something different. I don't want to be a broken record. And you know what happens with Levi, what, what should have happened with Levi. Levi is interesting when you see that when God, he, he was doing a work to deliver the Israelites out of bondage. What was the story? We, we see that, you know, back in Moses' day, uh, Moses was a man that was scared, running uh, up on the hills, talking to a burning bush. And all of a sudden the burning bush says, you need to go down there and set my people free. And so Moses goes down there, he speaks to Pharaoh, he says, set my people free. There's two million, you know, slaves that are, 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 are in bondage and they're my people and they need to go to the promised land. And God turns around and in order to demonstrate his power, his strength and what he was willing to do for the people, he inflicts 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. And he says, these diseases, these plagues are what the world has. Be separate from them. And then we get to the final, the grand poobah of all plagues. It turns around and says, hey, we're going to have the death angels going to come by. And unless you understand a sacrifice, you sacrifice your goat, you would put the blood on the doorposts, and if anybody who is going to be obedient to God you would find that the death angel who was going to come and was going to kill the oldest, the firstborn of every household, was to be put to death. 
Egyptian and Jew, whoever would not be obedient to have the blood on the doorpost. If the death angel came and saw the blood on the doorpost, in the shape of a cross, some people could argue, and the death angel would then pass over that house and then take the firstborn to somebody who was disobedient to God. God's concept was, the firstborn belongs to me. Because, if you're Jewish, I could have easily killed the firstborn, but because I see the blood, that blood passes over. So, the Jews were obedient to God. They put the blood up. The death angel passed over. They didn't lose their firstborn. So, they go out into the wilderness. The Red Sea parts. They go out there. They're all now in the wilderness for 40 years. God's starting to train them, show them. He starts to build up the priesthood. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take all the Levites, and I'm going to say, the Levites are mine. They belong to me. Oh, God says, you could argue, God, what right do you have to take one whole tribe of, you know, a tenth of us, a twelfth of us? Who gives you the right to say all these men are supposed to be priests? And God could say, I know, every single one is supposed to have a firstborn. They all belong to me, and what I'll do is I'll trade you the firstborn of all the other tribes, and I'll just take the Levites as my tribe, tribe that Moses came from, <laughs> And his brother Aaron sets up the whole priesthood out of that. Now listen, everyone who could turn around at that time, you would say, well, that's okay, you can take the Levites, that's okay, you can take these people, because God, you got it coming. Because God, you could have killed all those people if we were not obedient by putting the blood on our doorpost. But because we did that, it's a gift of God that you didn't kill us. So therefore, listen to this, we're happy to give makes the whole point that what Levi, as he was started out to be a priest, he should have started out, I think they started out with an attitude of gratitude, because they could say, God, you could have really killed us all. But because of your mercy, you saved me. And in a sense, today, an attitude of gratitude comes from the concept that I can sit down and say, God, you could have killed me. God, you could have left me in my misery. I was miserable. I was in the world. I was partying and playing, and I played the little religious games, and it was just a bunch of taxing each other to death and picking on each other and putting each other down and wondering how come he fasts, she fasts, this happens. We can play that whole thing, and, and when people are in that trap, they know that they're dead. And when Jesus comes around and he says, I want to get you out of that, in comes a natural attitude of gratitude to say, wow, Lord, I owe you so much. And listen to me, when you can have that attitude of gratitude and you can actually put it in your heart and in your mind to say, Lord, I owe you so much, it then becomes fun to be a Christian. What, you want 10%? I'll give you 20%, Lord. I'll give you, I'll take, take the whole thing. I don't want my life anymore. I want you and only you. And, and it's no longer a tax. It, it's, it's a matter of saying, Lord, I want to give you my life because I recognize I was lost. And when we can come to that point to say, Lord, I was just so lost. I was so miserable. And I don't know about you. It's a very common thing amongst believers you almost come to that point of being at the end of your life. There was a point when I got out of the Marine Corps, I think I was suicidal. There was many times I said, what am I living for? Where am I going? What am I doing? I just went through the Marine Corps. Marine Corps is supposed to make you a man. 
I don't feel like a man. All my friends are just drinking themselves into oblivion. What am I supposed to do? Go find a wife, have a couple little bambinos running around and have them to be just as miserable as me? No thanks. If this is life, I don't want it. And I think when I was at that point in my life and someone said, hey, here's Christianity, I could see joy, I could see peace in someone's life. And I said, that's what I need. That's what I'm lacking. I got money, I got a car, I got all the things I want. I'm miserable inside. Nobody had to come up and say, Dave, are you miserable? I said, no, I'm miserable. And, and when you can come to that point to say, Lord, I'll take it. You can walk into my life and I, I'm, I'm buying, man. Whatever it is, I'm buying because I need change in my life. And then all of a sudden, my whole life is an attitude of gratitude to say, take it all, Lord. Have it all. I don't care. I just need you. I need sanity. I need joy. And as you start to live a carefree life of serving the Lord, you start to find out that it's moving. It's changing. And the Lord says, you go to Arizona. You go to Ohio. You go over here. And I'm going, I don't care. Life's an adventure. You start to see there's no more concerns in your, in your heart and in your life. And you're just going forward. And life becomes so exciting when you realize that God is for you. He's not against you. And unfortunately, so many people's religion is, oh, God's against me. Oh, I smoked a cigarette. God's going to burn me in hell. I know why God doesn't want to talk to me, because he's against me. Come on. I didn't fast enough. I think God told me to fast for five days, and I only fasted for three, and now the whole thing, God hates me. Where did you come up with these ideas? Jesus is like... What do you mean? We got the parties here. You got the Jesus. You know, you got the bridegroom. Wonderful things are going on. Parties now. And somehow or another, our Christianity needs to be just like Jesus. He's sitting back in the midst of, 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 of sinners and tax collectors. You can see Jesus. He's kicked up. He's got his feet back. He's chomping on a chicken. And the disciples are sitting down there going, they, they're going, how can you be like this Jesus in the midst of this depravity? And Jesus is going, parties now, buddy. The party's now. Christianity is where God wants to bless you. And just as Tom came up and he read that scripture, God wants to do wonderful things in your life. God, God wants to change you and to mold you and to fill you and to give you an exuberant life that's fun. Fun. Just, I mean, all the things of love, joy, peace, the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, number 27 down on the list. How about that? Fun. You know, it's, it's there. And somehow or another, we throw that out the window and think that Christianity just has to be drudgery. And Jesus is all he's saying is, put yourself into a new wineskin. You've got to let go of the old way of life. And Jesus is begging you. He says, let go. You crusty old piece of leather. Let go of everything that you are and to be moldable and to be shapeable and to be working. God, God is just begging you. And, and he even says, I know it's hard. You have your old little comfort zones. You have the way you live your life. You have all your little patterns. And, and nobody wants to give up the old wine. But pal, that's where the life is. The life is in the new wine. It's, it's powerful. It's moving. It's changing. And it's shaping. And, and you know what? We at our church today anyway, all I can say is we want to give you a hamburger. We're, by design, that's the way our church is. You walk into the church. I was just explaining this a little bit earlier. You walk into the church. We're not asking you, passing the plate, put it in front of you and says, what are you giving? 
We're not sitting down there telling you you got to become a card-carrying member and, and you have to, you know, agree to all of our little tenants and to be just like us in order. There's no membership of our church. When you come to church, you should be able to worship Jesus. You should be able to walk in and hear a chapter of the Bible. And then you should be able to say, hey, look, I get a free donut. And today's bonus Sunday, you get a hamburger. Free cup of coffee, a donut. And for those that are lucky today, I don't know if you guys can see that. I don't know how that works out. It says Calvary Chapel. I got 18. You can become a card-carrying member today. And get, can you see that through the light? It says, you can't see it? It's the big Calvary Chapel. That's what uh, you have on your back of your car, and people go, how do I get one of those Calvary Chapel stickers? It's like a cult in here. Everyone's got one on their car. I want one. <laughs> well, 18 cars can get tagged today for one time only. <laughs> but it's our desire as a church to represent Christ correctly and to say, we are not here. And, and Lord forbid the day I sit down and present Here's another tax on you. And I really feel my calling as a pastor and what we are trying to do here in Columbus, right here on the edge of Whitehall, right here on the edge of Reynoldsburg, is I really firmly believe that there are so many churches that have taxed the snot out of people. And they're like, I do not want to try church again. I can't, I can't try church, man. Church stinks, man. I, I just go there and it's just another miserable experience. And all we're trying to do is we don't offer a whole bunch of things good, I guess. We're not as good as some things, but what we do is what we don't do. We're not going to impose a tax on you. And here's Levi who says, man, I'm a tax collector. And this is who I am as a priest, and, and I should be something more. And my life is amounted to just taking things from people. And somewhere down the line, you're saying, that's not God. God is free. God is loving. God is giving. God has so much to offer you. And you have to be able to say, Lord, then I'm open. I want to get away from my stale, stagnant life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Have a hamburger with us. If uh, we like to have prayer and sometimes we say, come on forward, have hands laid on you. And almost you want to say, well, today, if you're feeling miserable and, and terrible, uh, come forward and we'll give you a kick in the head. That's what I want to say today. We'll kick you upside the head and get you going on the right side of the Lord. It doesn't always have to be grovel at the cross. It doesn't always have to be. God wants to just get you right in the right heart and the right mind so that you can see the blessings of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do praise you, Father. And I do pray that we would be flexible and moldable and shapeable, Father. That you would put a new wine into us, Father, and we could go through that burping process, Father, of having some air stuck inside of us that we need to get out. Father, I pray that we'd let go and that we would follow you and that you, Father, with your spirit could impose on us and part to us and come into our space, Father, and give us what we need. Father, we are miserable in our old way of life. But, Father, ever since we have decided to walk with you, it has been fun and exciting and joyful and it's been a party. Father, help us to see the joy that you have and help us, Father, not to be trapped in the misery of life. Father, we need you. We love you. We give our lives to you, Father. And we want to throw a banquet, Father, and invite everyone we can to celebrate the goodness of who you are. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.